Lord, it's been a real privilege to share communion and remember Jesus this evening. Thank you so much for him. Thank you for what he means to us as a church, for what he means to us individually. Thank you that he is everything and that he has changed everything. And now as we reflect a little bit more on him, we just pray that his spirit would be in this place, whispering to us, shaping us, forming us, helping us. We long to hear from you, Lord. On a special evening like tonight, please speak. We give you permission to encourage and to challenge. In Jesus' name, amen. I've um, had a bit of a day. Um, Starts off badly because I've got a puncture uh, and I had to catch the bus to work. I like the bus, but I prefer riding in, so it was a bad start. Um, and then um, I lost uh, my glasses, so I've got my white Poundland special ones uh, this evening, which Jenny, my wife, hates. And uh, then this afternoon, I shouted at a doctor's receptionist, so I am not a good person, although she was blaming me for something which I hadn't done. So anyway, but anyway, I felt bad about it. I want to speak about JC tonight, you know, that's why we're here. We come to think about JC. Of course, I'm thinking about Jeremy Clarkson. Um, we've noticed that if you follow a follower of Top Gear, which uh, I'm sure you all are here, actually, this is just the dynamic uh, thereafter, um, Jeremy Clarkson has been on the journey, and I would say he's been on the journey for a good few years. You can see there's been that sort of uh, destructive part of his personality has uh, been uh, coming out. Maybe we couldn't vocalise it or say where exactly it was going to end, but after the racist in, in, um, sort of instances last year when that YouTube video came out and that calamity in Argentina, it was quite clear that thumping somebody or doing some shouting at somebody or whatever it was that happened, that fracas, um, that was bound to only lead to one uh, thing. That's his sacking. Uh, being completely abusive and overstepping the mark is never a good thing to be. And it's caused much joy amongst uh, some people and much disappointment, even anger in some people. I, I was reading that Tony Hall, who runs the BBC, uh, needs some beefed up security at the moment because there's death threats on his life. But Jesus, the ever JC, uh, was on a journey, a controversial uh, journey too. Because in the um, gospel, you see that it's moving in one direction, the story of Jesus. There's going to be an outcome, there's going to be a finishing, there's a pace uh, to it. It's been a three-year journey uh, for Jesus, and now we're at the point where Jesus' journey is coming to an end. Now, initially, when you look back at the beginning of the gospel, the journey was joyful. There was a lot of energy to it. A hero, a new hero, had been found, a man of the people. We all like men of the people. Someone who stood up for them, wasn't scared, someone who didn't mind provoking the authorities. And superstardom, really, was uh, Jesus' reality. He was loved. He was adored by crowds. And he was loathed and despised by the authorities. Jesus was a problem. And Holy Week is basically ridding the world of the problem. 
He'd gone too far, Jesus had, and something had to give. His journey was going to come crashing to a halt. He was going to be sacked as Messiah. And it starts out on that Monday, Thursday, we're remembering all those years ago. Because Judas, the day or so before, had seen Jesus go one step too far for him. For Judas, it was after Jesus was anointed that Jesus had overstepped the mark. You see, Jesus seemed to enjoy the extravagance of that moment a little bit too much rather than condemn the woman and give the money to the poor. Jesus wasn't the Messiah that Jesus wanted him to be. And so for Judas, it had to come to an end. And so he began a conversation with the authorities. Twelve pieces of silver burned in his pocket. And now the end of the journey is in sight. Jesus has gone one step too far. It's like sort of dominoes all neatly set up in a row. It only takes one domino to fall and they all fall down. And the dominoes are about to be toppled. But up to this point, Jesus is utterly, completely in control. He is running the show. You read through the Gospels. He is running the show. He is in charge. The sermons, the miracles, the discussions, he just keeps them all coming. He keeps on pointing people to the reality of God and keeps on developing the idea that God is a God of love who accepts people, who forgives people and welcomes them. It seems just to go on and on and on. But also as he does this, he's getting more and more provocative. He's getting more and more hated. The conservative types already think he's gone too far and overstepped the line. The radical types think he's not radical enough. The religious types find him far too challenging. The ruling class find him far too annoying. But Jesus keeps on being in charge. He's been in charge of the evening's events. In fact, the whole day of Monday, Thursday, he's been in charge. He offered some prophetic insight early in the morning about where they were going to find a room to celebrate the Passover. He's already served the disciples by washing their feet and giving them an example of what Christian leadership is really about. He's confronted Peter's overzealousness and he's let Judas go to do his deed. And then he instituted this wonderful event, Holy Communion, which we've just celebrated tonight. Jesus is in control. He's aware of what's going on about him and he's completely in control. He's so in check, he even suggests, let's go for a walk in the garden. And then it happens. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he said to them, stay here and keep watch. In that moment, it changed. Control had vanished for Jesus. The moment was here and Jesus felt it. His emotions started to dominate. The inward reality of his situation 
began to be revealed. To gain a sense of how bad it was for him, we need to really know by what he meant by these words. What did he mean when he said, I'm overwhelmed and in sorrow? In Greek, the word overwhelmed, or it could be said deeply distressed, actually means astonished. Jesus is astonished by what's welling up inside of him. Up until that point, he has been unflappable. But in this moment, he perceives something. He becomes aware of something within him, and it's astonishing. In the Greek, the word for sorrow or troubled means to become overwhelmed with horror. So literally, Jesus is astonished, and he is overwhelmed with horror. And his emotions rise up in him. And Jesus vocalizes the terror of them. He's moving from being in control to being out of control. He perceives it, he feels it, he vocalizes it. Emotion, very strong emotion is on display here. Jesus' humanity is clear and present. He is completely scared. And how quickly it's shifted. It's as if he's known what's going to happen. But that moment when Judas left the meeting in such a sudden way has, if you like, shocked him to the core as he realises he's now at the place of no return. Control is no longer his. Losing control is a terrible thing. In cars, it leads to crashes. At work, it leads to the sack. In your health, it leads to pain. In relationships, it leads to uncertainty. In your mind, it leads to confusion. Not having control of your future leads to depression. To hand over control to someone else is either a place of complete trust or complete failure. Jesus had hit the complete failure end of the spectrum. A secret life which I think, sorry, a secret to life which I think is important is that you hold things lightly. It's especially important when we do things for God or when we think God is serving us or when we think God is calling us. Anything God asks us to do, we take completely and utterly seriously. We do all we can to do it as well as possible but we hold it lightly. We don't grasp it tightly because one day we'll be asked to let go. If we grasp it, we stop it being God's and actually ministry gets strangled and we deny God and we stop the gifts of God being used. Never hold on to the things of God too hard or for too long or when your gifting or your energy has run out. But if we hold it lightly, especially when it's time for our ministry to come to an end or us to move on to a new thing, we allow God to be God and we show we trust God with the things of God and we allow his life to flow through us. Jesus, in these moments, was being asked to let things go. He was being asked to be humble. He was being asked to let God be God. And it was completely painful for him, as it can be for us if we hand over things before we're ready and let go of them 
or as we're asked to move from something we absolutely love and cherish onto something new. Jesus in these moments realizes he's got to let go. He's got to relinquish control. His ministry is concluding. And the pain of this dawns on him. The stress of it fills him. And he's overpowered with these incredible emotions and that struggle of being out of control. In Luke's gospel, the rawness of the emotion is expressed in this very physical way when Luke writes, and being in anguish, his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Death is the feeling. His very lifeblood is flowing away from him. His personal destiny feels in doubt. He's been talking about it for months. His death was something Jesus understood was part of his personal journey. But now the talking has finished and the reality is taking a grip. And no amount of talk could have prepared Jesus for the emotional enormity of these moments. It was horrific. Jesus dying for us is as hard as it gets for him. And we gain a terrifying glimpse of the internal conversation going on inside of Jesus' head. But despite these emotions... He still has the capacity to pray. In fact, his prayer is more like a petition, a prayer where he pleads with God. And he doesn't just plead with God once. We see in the passage, he pleads with him three times. And a prayer where he wanted to include others in it, but he finds himself completely on his own. Because even though his disciples are in the vicinity, their emotional intelligence is so low, they've only managed to fall asleep rather than be the friend Jesus needs them to be in these moments. So Jesus is completely isolated. He's completely abandoned. And yet he prays, he pleads, he hopes, he pushes hard into God. The darkness he feels is expressed most profoundly in this one-verse prayer. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. There's four things going on in this prayer, four immense and important things, and they become a gift for us this evening, despite Jesus' pain. It's a beautiful prayer, perhaps the most beautiful prayer. In desperation, Jesus here helps us as we cry out in our pain and our difficulty and our frailty. He cries out, firstly, Abba Father, in all his pain, in all his difficulty, in the sweating of blood, Jesus prays out of his relationship with God. Daddy, Father, he cries. This is a prayer of love. This is a prayer of identity. Jesus in these moments, is completely entwined uh, in God, his Father, and vice versa. Prayer is born out of a relationship, a deep understanding that we matter to God, we are important to God, that God will listen. And Jesus prays from that reality. He belongs to God. As he says, God is Dad, Father. And Jesus gives us permission to pray from that same privilege and space. 
He's already taught the Lord's Prayer. That's our prayer, our Father. We come to him. God is our Father. We have the identity as his sons or daughters, and we can pray knowing that God completely loves us, and we're praying to that God of love who's completely there for us. It's interesting that in the pain and tension of the situation, Jesus doesn't run away. Instead, he turns to God. In his anxiety, he uses that as a cue to get close to God. And the great thing we can learn and do in our life when pain and tension hit us, when pressure and stress and anxiety surround our lives, when fear is our reality, is to use those moments as a cue to pray to our God who loves us. We run to God's love first rather than trying to sort it ourselves or wrench control back. We simply let God be God. But also, Jesus recognises, secondly, that God can do everything. Jesus, in these moments, has run out of his own resource. But in these moments in the garden, he knows that God, his Father, has endless resource. He cries out, everything is possible with you. When we turn to God, we enter into a place where we say, everything is possible for you. We remember we might have limited resources, but the one who flung stars into space can do anything. And in our weakness, we say, I know someone with more power, and that person is God. When I went to Egypt, I learned what I now call my Egypt prayer, that I worship a God who can move mountains. God is the one who can move those painful barriers in our life, physical and emotional and spiritual. And in Egypt, they pray with an absolute passion because if God is the creator of the universe, he can certainly move mountains. Don't have a view of prayer which is too limited. We have a God who can do anything. And thirdly, Jesus asks, he petitions, take this cup of me, take this cup of me, take this cup of me. Jesus is saying to God, quite simply, I can't cope. I can't cope with these feelings that I'm feeling right now. This is too much. This is too hard. What I have to do feels impossible. I find it hard to do what I need to do. I would love it. I would love it if you could stop it, God. This cup Jesus wants taking off him is really big. It's the metaphor for the wrath of God on human evil. If you look in Ezekiel chapter 23, it says, you will drink a cup large and deep, the cup of ruin and desolation, and tear your breasts. And in Isaiah 51, God speaks of the cup that made you stagger, the goblet of my wrath. And in these moments, the cup is making Jesus stagger. It's terrible. My sin, your sin, our guilt, humanity's complete failure are almost impossible to take. The thought of them 
is almost too great for Jesus. Never take Jesus lightly. The pain of the reality of our shame is in this prayer. And Jesus asks three times for this. He pleads with God. In this, I think he's giving us permission to plead with him, to come back again and again to God with the pain, with the difficulty, with the uncertainty, with the grief which is our lives. Gives us permission to keep on asking, to keep on seeking, to keep on knocking, because of, of course he told us to ask, seek and knock. But remember in prayer what Peter, sorry, what Pete Gregg calls the traffic light system, the green, the yes prayers, or the amber the not yet prayers, or the red prayers, those are the no prayers. God doesn't answer yes to all our prayers. Many of us would have married the wrong person if that was the case. God sometimes needs us to wait up, or grow up, or to mature, so that he gives us an amber whilst we do that. And sometimes, painfully, it will be a no. And the thing is, for Jesus... As he pleads, his case in front of his father here, the answer to his prayer is a no. This is where, fourthly, the final part of the prayer is so important. Jesus prays, yet not what I will, but you, what you will. Jesus is asking, but he does so knowing that actually it's all about God and God's ways and God's decision. You see, Jesus, even though he was God, he was living in the constraints of being human. He was locked inside time and space and living a complete human existence. However, his Father God is outside all of this. And when we give God our will, we're saying that we know you have the big picture. And the big picture here is where Jesus is choosing to exist. In this small human picture, life is horrible and Jesus wants the pain to end. But he realises something bigger is in charge. And he wants to be part of the plans. He wants to be part of something bigger. When we pray, your will be done, we're saying, I want to be part of something bigger. Often our view of God is so small, we want God to meet our needs now. Prayers can be completely selfish. Well, I know my prayers can be. Sometimes we make demands of God which put ourselves above God. It's as if we decide as we pray, oh, well, I know what's best and I'm going to tell God jolly well what to do. So when we say to God, actually, I'm in pain and life is hard, but I trust you here with it, what we're doing is we're allowing God to work. We allow big picture thinking to take over our lives. We allow ourselves to be in God's plan, no matter how tough it is. Oswald Chambers said, we have to pray with our eyes on God, not the difficulties. When we say your will be done, we are saying, I know you love me. I know you want the best for me. We see just beyond our own life in those moments into eternity. And Jesus in these moments chose to put him there in eternity with God and in God's will, which meant the answer was a no. The cup was Jesus's because no one else could do it. It was only Jesus. It was all about Jesus. 
the big picture of life, the universe, and absolutely everything was Jesus. And this is a key thing. Even though this was such a strained prayer time, this became the moment when Jesus was finally ready. He was at his lowest and most vulnerable point. And yet we see that also this was the moment when he became the most powerful. The moment when he was to rely completely on the promises of God. He was no longer in control. Someone else was. Even though the answer to the prayer was a no, the actual prayer led Jesus to have the energy to face the next 24 hours, which were impossible hours. His connection with God here got him ready for the most difficult part of his journey. And we're here 2,000 years on, completely grateful, for it means that our identity this evening can be completely wrapped up in God. It means forgiveness is ours. It means a joyful reality, no matter what we're facing now, is our future. The big picture of our eternal God won the day. So I don't know about your prayer life, but Monday Thursday is the day which reminds us to get caught up in this yes, not yet, no prayer language of God. To completely immerse ourselves in him and say, I am yours no matter. No matter because you have the big picture and your love and care mean you will give me the best, even in a no. Prayer doesn't make life easier, but it prepares us for life in all its fullness, the joys, the pains, and the everyday. And today is also a day where we can say we have a Jesus who completely gets what it means to be human. And his empathy today stretches across history, and it's saying to us all tonight, I get you, I love you, and I long for you to follow me. He did it for us. And he says, come and join me in the great perplexing and real journey of what it means to be in the big picture of God. Amen.